Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for January 28th, 2024. That's the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. And as we continue following the textbook 120 Bible Stories from Concordia Publishing House, we arrive today at story number 18. It's called Jacob's Blessing. In the textbook, it's on page 44, and this covers four chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapters 45 to 49. It's quite a bit of material in Scripture, so we're going to um, focus mainly on the, uh, the parts of Genesis specifically mentioned in the story in the textbook and fill in some gaps in between. If you remember when we last spoke, the story was about how Joseph forgives his brothers. And after testing them to see if they had indeed changed since they sold him into slavery, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers that he is in fact Joseph. They're at his mercy. He could make them disappear and be buried in a sand dune that day. He could make their lives miserable for years to come, but instead he forgives them and he wants to make sure they know that he has gone ahead of them by the grace of God to make sure that they and their families survive. So he wants them to go back to Canaan and tell his father that he's alive and then invite his father down to Egypt. So we'll pick up this story in Genesis chapter 45, starting at verse 16, which is sort of where the textbook 120 Bible stories starts this story. And we read, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Pharaoh commands Joseph to command his brothers to take wagons from Egypt, load up their families, come back to Egypt, and there they will have all the goods that they need. There they will have the best land, and there, says Pharaoh, he will set them up to prosper. So, Joseph gives the command. He loads up the wagons for them. He gives them each a change of clothes, which is a a marvelous gift. He gives far more to Benjamin, 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Remember that Benjamin is Joseph's only other brother, um, full brother from his, his, uh, his mother, Rachel. And then he sends uh, his brothers back on their way to Canaan. 
As he sends his brothers to Canaan, his last words recorded in the scripture are, Do not quarrel on the way. Perhaps those extra gifts for Benjamin are testing to see they've really changed. Or perhaps in his lavishing gifts to Benjamin, he's afraid that Benjamin will get sold into slavery along the way too. At any rate, they all make it back safe and sound. So we read in Genesis 45, verse 25, So they, the brothers, went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, The spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Wouldn't you like to know more of that conversation? Like, does Jacob ask, I thought Joseph was dead. How do you suppose he ended up in Egypt? Do the brothers come clean that they, like, sold Joseph into slavery? We simply don't know. But we'll find out soon that Jacob is well aware that his sons are not exactly the most angelic boys ever to live. At any rate, Israel, also known as Jacob, is ready to go see his son. So we read in chapter 46, verse 1, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is an important little insert along the way in this story, because God has told Jacob that um, he's to live in Canaan, that that this land belongs to his descendants. And in that land, God will make his descendants as many as, you know, the stars in the heavens and the sand on on the seashore. And now Jacob is leaving that land. And, um, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. If he leaves, what happens to the promise? So we don't know if Jacob stops at Beersheba to offer sacrifices to God because he starts to worry about leaving the promised land. But whatever Jacob's reason for making those offerings, God assures him that this trip to Egypt is part of the plan. Even though Jacob is in Egypt, God will make him a great nation there. And then he will bring that great nation back to the land of Canaan. Now we're going to skip the rest of Genesis chapter 46 because Genesis 46 covers the the list of people 
who travel from Canaan to Egypt. It's, it's a list of, of the sons of Jacob and, and their, uh, their families. And so we have uh, a total number of 70 members of Jacob's household going down to Egypt. One quick note in the middle of Genesis, or at the end of Genesis 46, rather, 46 verse 28 and uh, a couple verses after that, we read, uh, Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. So father and son are finally reunited and Jacob says, Now that I have seen you, now that I have seen your face, I know that you're alive, now I can die. And there's no direct textual connection, but I will say this sure sounds like Simeon in the temple courtyard when Jesus is brought to the temple at the age of 40 days where he, he sings the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Again, it sounds an awful lot like Jacob Israel saying to Joseph here, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. All right, so the sons of Jacob and their families settle in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh is delighted they are there because they're related to Joseph. And perhaps they will be as much a blessing as Joseph as Joseph has been, even if they're not Joseph has saved the lives of countless, and so Pharaoh wants to reward the family for that, even though it's noted in Genesis 46, verse 34, that all shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. The sons of Jacob are all shepherds, they're all herdsmen, so while they are honored guests in Egypt, they're also set apart from the rest of the Egyptians in this fertile land of Goshen. Joseph brings Jacob to meet Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Then in the rest of Genesis 47, we hear how Joseph managed the land of Egypt for the rest of the famine. And then in verse 28 of chapter 47, we read, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years old. So after Jacob arrives in Egypt and says, Now I can die because I've seen your face, Joseph, he still has 17 years of life left in him in the land of Egypt. But then... The text fast forwards and we read in Genesis 47 verse 29 and following. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, 
If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So just a brief note there. Jacob requests to be buried back in Canaan with his fathers because even though he's in Egypt, that's still his home. That's still the promised land. As Jacob grows weaker and more ill, Joseph takes his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to see their grandfather. And first, Jacob speaks to Joseph and declares to Joseph that your two sons shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. He's talking about Joseph's brothers there. What Jacob is saying is that my grandsons that you have fathered, I consider to be my sons as well. So I will bless them as if they were my own sons. And so, Joseph, as I bless your sons, two of them, you'll receive a double blessing from me. Then we pick up the story in Genesis 48, verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and moved from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. 
So Jacob blesses Joseph's two boys, and he blesses them in the name of God, who called Abraham and Isaac before he called Jacob, God who has shepherded them throughout uh, their lives, and God, the angel who has redeemed them from all evil, which sounds pretty, pretty triune to me. But when he blesses them, he switches hands so the greater blessing goes to Joseph's younger son. And Joseph is displeased by this, but this carries on a pattern, right? That the the older serves the younger. As Jacob was a younger and the prophecy was that Esau would serve him, Joseph is the youngest of a bunch of brothers, and yet Joseph is second in command of Egypt, and his brothers serve him. And now it continues another generation that although Manasseh is older, he will be um, less important, less powerful than his younger brother Ephraim. And all this continues kind of that, um, that great reversal that rather than the rich and the powerful winning everything, God saves through humility and sacrifice And so Jesus comes not in power to save us, but he comes as this this little baby of a poor couple up in Nazareth and redeems the world by his death. All right, back to 48, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you... I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Now this is a curious passage. We've reached uh, the start of Genesis 49. And the subtitle, at least in the English Standard Version, inserted by the publishers there is, Jacob blesses his sons. But they're kind of strange blessings. A lot of them are anyways. Um, Jacob doesn't say, gather together that I may bless you. He says, gather together that I may tell you what shall happen in the days to come. So Jacob is foremost prophesying about the future of his sons and their descendants, He doesn't always speak blessings to them. So, for instance, first son up is the oldest, Reuben, in verse 3 of 49. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So that's hardly a blessing for Reuben. The firstborn should be entitled to a lot. Instead, Jacob says, you might have been entitled to a lot, but instead, you slept with my concubine, one of my more or less wives, Bilhah. And so instead, you shall not have preeminence because you defiled my bed. You can catch a note about that in Genesis 35, 22 if you really want to. 
So again, hardly a blessing, just a prophecy that Reuben will not have preeminence because of his sin against his father and one of his wives. Next one up, um, actually next two up are Simeon and Levi. Jacob says in verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So, again, not really a blessing for Simeon and Levi either. Jacob says, you two brothers, you're angry, violent people. I don't want to be entrusted to your care because you kill people and you hurt oxen. And so Jacob declares that they will in fact be scattered and divided, not blessed. I won't go through all these blessings, but this is the important one. Genesis 49 verses 8, 9, and 10 especially. It's the blessing of Judah, and Jacob says this, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have grown up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's the key verse of Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. That's the prophecy of Jesus. With those words, Jacob, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares that the line to the Messiah goes through Judah and his family. This, by the way is not because Judah is an exceptionally great son among the rest. He's as bad as the rest of them are. Among, uh, among the brothers, he's the one recorded in Genesis to have slept with his daughter-in-law, not because he was interested in incest, but because he thought she was a prostitute. So Judah is not a forefather of Jesus because he's a great guy. It's because God uses sinners as his instruments to get his will accomplished. All right, from there in Genesis 49, uh, Jacob blesses the rest of his sons, Zebulun and Issachar and Dan and Asher and Naphtali. He blesses Joseph, although that blessing will be fulfilled in his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He, he speaks of Benjamin as well. And then we read at the, at the end of uh, 49, verse 28, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. 
with Jacob's death, the, uh, the story of the patriarchs has effectively come to an end. We have one more chapter of Genesis left. It's an important one as Joseph speaks with his brothers once again. But after that, there's going to be a, a gap in the history of Israel for about 400 years while they're in bondage in Egypt. But as this closes out the history of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see throughout the lives of, of these men that God is at work to keep his promise that the Messiah will come to be the Savior of all nations. So Jacob uh, Jacob breathes his last. He's gathered to his people, which is um, an interesting term only because usually when we, uh, when we think of death, we think of scattering, we return to, to ashes and dust, if you will. Um, instead, Jacob is gathered to his people, which has a hint at least of the resurrection. All right, so how does this... Uh, how does this story point to Christ? It's largely a connecting story between one important event and the next. Nevertheless, there are some things here that, uh, that still point to Christ and his redemption for us. For one thing, um, where the brothers once stripped Joseph of his coat of many colors and, and got rid of him... Joseph, having effectively risen from the dead, from prison, he now clothes them, he gives them garments, and he sets them free. Jesus, who was literally stripped at the cross and crucified for us, he lives to clothe us in his righteousness to set us free from sin and death and devil. Second, both the Israelites and the Egyptians honor Joseph because he delivers them from starvation. Similarly, all nations will bow to Jesus because he's the savior of the world. Third, Pharaoh honors Joseph's brothers because they're Joseph's brothers. Joseph is the savior and the brothers are just lucky to have him as their brother, right? So likewise, God honors us with salvation, not because there's anything great about us, but because we belong to Jesus, because he is our brother who has saved us, that we might be children of God. Fourth, Jacob prophesies of Jesus, of course, in Genesis 49, verse 10, as he, as he speaks of Judah. And if you read through that, um, Joseph's story in Egypt sounds kind of like Jacob's prophecy of Jesus. So, for instance, the blessing of Judah begins in verse 8 with... Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. And all that is also true of Joseph. In the end, his brothers end up praising him. His brothers, while they are still enemies, are under his control. 
and his father's sons, his brothers, bow down before him. And all this points to Christ, to whom every knee shall bow. One more thing to talk about before we close out this podcast, and that is God's use of Egypt in Scripture. So, literarily in the Bible, God uses the land of Egypt as a place of plenty, but also a place of trouble for his people. So, remember back in Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai traveled to Egypt because of, the, uh, because of a famine, and Pharaoh takes Sarai as one of his wives. Jacob and his sons repeat the trip here in Genesis 45 through 49. And again, it's due to famine. And this migration won't just result in Pharaoh kicking them out of Egypt as he did Abraham when he discovered that Sarai was Abraham's wife. Rather, Pharaoh was about to enslave their households for centuries before they returned to the land of Canaan in the books of Exodus through Joshua. Now, as Egypt is considered a place of plenty and a place of trouble, Babylon later on takes on that role as well. So after Egypt kind of wanes, Babylon is the place where where God's people end up in captivity and from which a remnant returns. In the book of Revelation, Egypt and Babylon are both symbols of captivity for the church in the world today. And so we are not in the promised land. We're in Egypt or Babylon. We're in a sinful world awaiting deliverance to heaven. But of course, while we're here, while we are here, the Lord has not forsaken us. He remembers us. He will keep his promises. And he will deliver us to the promised land. That's our hope as Christians until the Lord comes again. All right, that concludes our look at Genesis 45 through 49, Jacob's blessing, at least upon some of his sons and his grandsons. God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grants you every blessing if you're teaching it to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.